listening to the SitePen Podcast for developers who can't JavaScript good and want to learn to do other things good too. On today's episode, we have Neil Roberts, Mick Nisi, Brian Forbes, and your host, that's me, Tori Rice. So how's it going, guys? Good. I'm just happy to be here. You are excited to be here. (laughs) So, So, Nick, how are you doing, buddy? I am tired, but I am doing great. This is amazing. So much fun. Why don't we just tell everyone where you are? We are at the Nebraska JavaScript Conference 2016 in Omaha, Nebraska. You couldn't you couldn't find a different place to hold the Nebraska Conference other than in Nebraska? <sighs> you know, we we try and yeah. <laughs> I mean, Iowa's just across. Yeah, it the seems way on the it river. seems it seems like you wanted to have it in Iowa, and we're <laughs> yeah. like, uh, the, no. I was, you know, I don't know if we're ready for the big time yet. We'll have it like just outside of Iowa. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is actually pretty unique. I think uh, we're at the Durham uh, Museum, and it is a uh, museum of the Western um, heritage of the United States, and it is actually inside of a train station that ran as a um, commuter train station from 1930 through 1970. And there, it, it features a three-car train uh, that's just parked right next to the lecture hall. Like, so, and it's right in fancy, front of us. Fancy chandeliers. Yeah, right yeah. in front of uh, us. We should, we should be recording in there. Yeah, well, the, we could. the power cable would reach. There's power in there. There's power in there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so it all up, Ryan. With there Indeed. being power in there and comfortable couches and seats and tables. Uh, we're probably the only JavaScript conference, at least in Nebraska, that has a hallway track uh, where you can have the hallway track on a train. Wow. <laughs> you know, that sounds really cool. I grew up in the South and there was actually a museum of Southern heritage. Um, and there was a underground railroad stop. Um, <laughs> it had a it had an old dilapidated car parked next to it. A cotton right gin that you could play on. Was the car up? You could play on. Was the car up on blocks? Well, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, you could hardly see it anymore, though. It's so overgrown with with grass. So right. Uh, you know, it sounds like a little bit of a different experience, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, but that sounds really cool too. I suppose. Um, so, I was not able to attend because someone had to have a six-year-old birthday. How selfish. tomorrow? Was it you? It was me. Uh, I just turned six. Yeah. He missed his the last time he turned. Yeah, six. yeah, yeah. So this is a redo for me because my parents got divorced and everything when I was a kid, and so I didn't have any birthdays. Hashtag dark. So, so this is me. I'm gonna go to Chuck E. Cheese. I'm just gonna walk in and say, you know, table for one. Um, On today's special episode of the Sight Pen Podcast, <laughs> we relived Tori's childhood. That's pretty much all the Sight Pen Podcast is, is just me reliving my childhood dreams of being oh, a radio man. announcer. Um, yeah, so why don't you tell me um, maybe a little bit about what were some of the cool uh, talks? Because so it's the end of, of the thing, which is funny yes. because you guys actually interviewed people today. Correct. Which I'm going to be playing after this, but it actually happened in the past. So that's like some time travel stuff. So if you ever saw Memento, this is basically Memento in podcast form. Yeah. So, so you have to listen to it twice. Yeah. yeah. So what's kind of interesting, you bring up time travel. And one of my favorite uh, of the talks was uh, from John K. Paul. And he talked about debugging and some of the new features that are coming up. 
And one of the things that he talked about was time travel debugging. So you're gonna have to listen to that interview. We, we sat him down and kind of picked his brain a little yeah. bit, uh, Neil and I. And, and so that was a really cool talk. Um, just about all the cool things that are coming up with with debugging and how the web as a platform is finally kind of coming into its own with support of the developer tools. Yeah, that's kind of where we ended the interview is kind of being excited about Don't give web, it away. web development being a real legitimate. Oh yeah, it is legitimate. Yeah. It's legit. Legit platform. Nick, what was oh, your favorite I wasn't talk? aware of that. Yeah. No, okay, it's, cool. it's, yeah, it's we, we, we haven't been legitimate uh, workers for a while, Tori. Just it starts <laughs> oh, yeah. today. Our business yeah, is now legitimate. We What's are like, a legitimate like, worker. It's yeah. like Tori's oh, Tori is so against Trump because of all the illegitimate coders that he has. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's doesn't absolutely. want them all sent away. That's right. So, Nick, what, what was your favorite? Uh, so, I think we should take a step back, and I don't know if we mentioned that I'm actually one of the organizers and the MC for uh, the conference. Yeah. And he's dressed like a train conductor right now. Yes. It's quite fetching. <laughs> I do have uh, adult-sized overalls that are cold dust all over him. Yeah, and I progressively got dirtier throughout the day <laughs> as I'm keeping this train moving. You even brought a train whistle. I did. Yes, it was, was very loud. It yeah. worked well getting everybody. Uh, back to their seats. Yeah, breaks it's, and it's better than flip, flipping the lights on and off. <laughs> yeah. He made puns about blowing his own whistle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and how things kept getting derailed. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, I uh, was going in and out of the speaker green room, um, running around making sure things are things are okay, trying to figure out what I was going to say next, uh, trying to come up with horrible puns or stealing awesome puns that Neil came up with. <laughs> um, and so I didn't get to sit and, and enjoy the talks uh, in full. I saw pieces of them uh, mm -hmm. as I could, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the videos coming out and really looking forward to uh, hearing the interviews that Neil and Brian did. How'd you find the speakers that you guys found? Uh, so we had a CFP, Call for Proposals, uh, that we opened up. Um, we opened it up probably two months before the conference, which in hindsight, we might have wanted to have that a little bit further out. Uh, but we had fantastic, fantastic uh, submissions to it. There were so many good ones, and it was so hard to, to really whittle them down to the nine spots that we have. This conference is a single-day, single-track conference, so there's nine total slots uh, seven regular speakers at 25 minutes each, and then two keynotes at 45 minutes. And uh, so we got the we got the seven speakers from uh, there, and then we had two keynotes uh, that we invited. And um, it was great. I think in total we had 74 submissions that we had to pick wow. from. Yeah, nice. Uh, was any of the submissions trying to find Nebraska via <laughs> JavaScript? <laughs> no. Okay. They're still working on that. Uh, yeah. So, did you go with a single track just because of the obvious danger of having two tracks? Yeah, we don't want... Well, we already had one track. It's sitting right in front of us. It's the third track that you're not supposed to touch. Yeah. Oh, it's the third? Okay. I mean, we don't want to get derailed here. Yeah, yeah let's not get derailed. Um, this isn't a Ruby conference. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Ruby on Ruby. Okay. Yeah. That was nope. awful. That was I know, awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> awkward silence. <laughs> it's just that's when you know it's like that's got to be left in the awkward silence. The crickets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you put some crickets in? I'll put no. I'll put a train whistle in there. A train whistle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, that's what the pause was for to let the train pass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. And, uh, we had to wait while the rails came down or the yeah. uh, the guardrails. So uh, then, stepping forward, Nick. Now that you just went and stepped back, unasked, unprompted. So stepping back forward, what was uh, forward, what was your favorite speaker today? See, it, it's hard to really say because I didn't get to see them and and really. From the feedback that I got and from the the pieces that I've seen, they were all just amazing talks. I'm really looking forward to um, going and rewatching uh, Andrea Goulet's talk. Uh, mm. She talked about how communication is just as important as code, and uh, I think Neil and Brian got interviews with her. Yeah, that was yeah, good. I, I was, yeah, yeah. I really liked her talk as well. Yeah. So, um, my good. Oh no, go ahead. My favorite part of the day was uh, Jennifer reading. Uh, Wikipedia explanations of programming terms uh, and kind of hitting my head against the, the chair I was sitting in as she was reading them. <laughs> just There wasn't a wall in front. Just was, some nonsense on Wikipedia. It is great. I heard uh, that yeah. you can I heard that you could actually edit that. I have a I have a feeling based on the type of stuff that she read that if you were to go in and, and edit it that it would be immediately be, revert, be reverted by whoever wrote it originally. Yeah. Like a really I, pedantic engineer. I, yeah, well, yes. they were all like, her talk was on sort of communication, but 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 like, the, we use these terms in programming. The and ambiguity some, of the, those and, terms. And sometimes we don't even know what those terms mean or how to define them. And so she went and looked for the definition of these things. and. Sometimes it was like, oh, the, uh, this is Latin, so let's go to Wikipedia. That was uh, <laughs> my favorite. She found this paragraph where someone talked about how the definition they just described was ambiguous, but was also <laughs> precise. Yes. <laughs> the, Did, my favorite was probably the, uh, I think I, I, I think it was scope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scope actually used the word scope <laughs> in its definition of scope. That's great. <laughs> Did, did she look up object? Because it always says undefined for me. Oh. You can actually redefine undefined. Uh, not yeah. in ES6. Not in ES6, I no, traditionally. Yeah. Well, in Wikipedia, you can. Nice. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, so now after this, so that there's a, I guess there's a dinner, right? That you yeah. guys are going to go hit up after this. Yeah, you're preventing us from going. I am preventing <laughs> you from going. Our yeah. audience is preventing us from going. But... It's, oh, my bad. Sorry, audience. It's their fault. It's their fault. <laughs> All right, let's go to the interviews. All right. We, right now, we have Jennifer Wong with us from Eventbrite. And she just got done giving a talk called... I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, there were lots of animated GIFs. GIFs. I'm going to fight you on that. <laughs> um, so tell us what kind of led you to come up with this talk. Sure. Um, so essentially, I, I'm a pretty new developer. And so I've only been in the industry for about three years. And whenever I would talk to other developers about code things, they would bring up words that I didn't necessarily understand, or I kind of felt like I'd heard before. So the thought of the title, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure, is exactly how I felt in those conversations. And I always felt a little bit weird about asking those questions because I'd had negative feedback in the past where people gave me 
dirty look like how could you not know what that is yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to give a talk that implied to people that sometimes acting that way can have lasting ramifications on new developers yeah and to try to prevent that yeah uh, yeah I've been I've been in the industry for a while and I still feel that way to this day um, and so I, I really appreciated your talk about how you know it's okay to ask and you know make Thanks. sure that when you give answers that you're not you know acting like you should know this already mm -hmm. um tell us about some of the things that you found uh, uh sure so the first thing i start out with is parameter versus argument because it's a question i've asked of many developers and oftentimes they're like i i don't know or they're the same thing or Basically, they would just tell me things that were incorrect until I finally <laughs> went to look it up myself. And actually, the words are really interesting because argument, I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but it used to be called um, the formal and actual parameters instead of parameter and argument, respectively. Uh, and so that's the first thing that I talk about because I think it's really important, especially as a new developer, I had a hard time understanding the difference between defining a function and calling a function, mm. which is oftentimes glossed over by people who are very experienced. Yeah. And just the syntax between those two things, I had a hard time understanding, especially in JavaScript because all the parentheses and, you know, the word function, I'm like, I don't know. And all the it seems nesting. All about the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the, I don't even know what the difference is between a parameter and an argument. Like, I think that was, like the definitions you came up with and I'm still like, I don't, I don't really know if I'm ever going to get those right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even moving forward. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was fun. Uh, like the, the Wikipedia articles that you read were really, really great. And I think uh, indicate how bad some of the way that software engineers uh how bad their approach is to explaining things mm -hmm. right where a lot of the definitions you found had the word of the definition in the definition <laughs> itself right yeah i one of the definitions or one of the words you talked about was scope mm -hmm. and it was like they were giving a recursive definition <laughs> it's like okay thank you for telling me that the scope is the scope well even the right. paragraphs that were like well this is ambiguous but it's also extremely accurate. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like there's someone someone wrote that paragraph on Wikipedia and it's still there. And I mean some of these programming <laughs> concepts, I Right. It, yeah. it is. I mean that I think we've had a few different talks today where you kind of learn about how exclusionary some computer science uh, programming stuff can be to someone just entering it, right? Like I managed to get into it in high school kind of by accident, like my parents went to a bookstore and they had a programming book and I was interested in programming. Um, so I was quite young, but I can't imagine trying to enter that world today and mm. it's kind of like, I learned gradually, right? And I learned yeah. when I was young, uh, so I had the, the tolerance to put up with some of this crazy stuff, but I, I can't imagine going back now and trying to learn it as an adult. Yeah. I think the industry uh, plays a lot of places a lot of emphasis on the rock star status mm -hmm. and so with that and it being a hot new thing it's much harder for new engineers to come in and not feel completely inadequate and not to have imposter syndrome oh for sure yeah yeah um yeah i had a similar experience to neil where i got into programming 
quite young, and so the the concepts kind of became part of my vocabulary, and I could see. I mean, it's almost like a second language to to people that are learning it now, because um, some of the, some of the concepts just don't match up with natural language. And <laughs> then, they're like the opposite sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Well, I really appreciated the talk you gave, and if you guys want, we'll put a link to, uh, we're going to put the link to Jennifer's slides in the show notes, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a good talk. All right, so we have John Paul. Hello. Who is an independent consultant in New York currently. Um, and today at NEJS Conf, he gave a talk on JavaScript debuggers. Um, so can you give us kind of a rundown of... of sure. Mainly my... Uh, so the, the topics cov- covered were around what new features there were in current debuggers. And my main point to get across for sort of the largest... Part of the developer population is that debuggers are debuggers and dev tools are immensely powerful tools that help us with productivity, and typically we only know one percent of it. Yeah, and it's not. And I don't want. It's not like the Vim users out there where only knowing one percent is still like utterly amazing. Ten thousand things, (laughs) right? Ten thousand things. But rather, every new little thing you learn with DevTools makes you so much more productive that spending that time to increase that percentage will, aggregated over your entire career, be immensely effective. Yeah. Well, what are are some of the things that that are coming out that you see as... um, Game changers? Yes, game changers. It's sure. helping us aggregate that out. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so in, in DevTools for a while, there have been lots of little things like console table, console.table, mm. console.trace, things that give stack Console traces. group. Yeah, so on console group, console yeah, yeah. time, you can even do yeah. some profiling and time uh, benchmarking inside yeah. of them. Th- those have been around for a while, though. It's just also things people don't know. Right, right. In terms of complete game changers, what I'm looking forward to is Microsoft's Chakra Core's uh, Visual Studio integration with their debugger will allow for JavaScript time travel debugging. Okay, so, say, wait, say that again. <laughs> like flux capacitor? Yes, it is a flux capacitor. Okay, so okay. basically, um, we can... So time travel debugging is one of these weird jargon terms yeah, yeah. for being able to not only step forward in time, like all most debuggers are able to do, but actually step backward. So what the new debugger for Chakra Core, which is the JavaScript runtime for Edge, Internet Explorer, uh, sorry, Microsoft Edge, um, what that will allow you to do is step backward in a way that allows state to be completely consistent. So they do a lot of impressive magic to make sure, for example, if you step back in time and then call system time, it'll be, it won't be the real system time, it'll be correct nice. as if you had stepped back in time. In that point in time. Similarly, wow. random number generation is correct nice. for that point in time. So basically they keep in state somehow all things that have ever done to eventually get to the point of which you have a breakpoint in the program. 
which is, uh, I'm sure, immensely complicated yeah. for, for computer science reasons that I don't understand. But from a developer perspective, a lot of the times, if there's been problems, I need to put a breakpoint and then restart everything mm -hmm. and then hope I hit that again. Whereas stepping backward allows me to avoid that whole subset of uh, debugging boilerplate. Yeah, that's going to be immensely helpful. Now, <laughs> can you see, do you think other tool, uh, other browsers are going to get this feature? Completely. So okay. another, another. I don't think necessarily tomorrow or anything. Well, like no, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean but, that. Yeah, yeah. So another theme of my talk was that the... We are now living in a world that's very similar to the browser war wars of the 2000s, except it's the dev tool wars of the 2015 pluses, right? We are, our mindshare, like as developers, all of the popular browser vendors and JavaScript debugger vendors want our mindshare. So every time one adds a feature, this is a race to the top. Every time one adds a feature, the whole other set eventually adds that feature. Just like how the iPhone came out, a little bit later we had Android and now they've been fighting out the whole mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Similarly, and all to our benefit, yeah. browsers continue to add, browser dev tools continue to add features and all of them want to get us to use them. Right. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing that when Firebug came out and you could edit, edit CSS Live. Yeah. Right? And it took forever for anybody else to get that, right? But they know they needed it. But they knew they needed it. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, I think it was IE 9 or 10 that finally got that feature and it was like, oh, wow, I can actually do this now. Yeah. Um, but you're, we're seeing that on a, on a massive scale Com Completely. Now. Even in the most, more recent features, there have been that copycatting for a good, for a good purpose. Like, um, asynchronous stack traces landed in Chrome DevTools like a year or two ago. Yeah. Firefox got it last year. Yep. So all of, even really new features that are extremely helpful are being copycatted. Right? Yeah. And, and another thing, so I really, uh, I didn't talk about this in the talk, but one of my, I really enjoy being within the software industry because there's basically no penalty for thought plagiarism. We can, right? Like we can yeah. always stand on the shoulders of giants yeah. and that's considered a good thing. Yes. Like, like, oh, they had, oh, Python has this great idea or the, the Java Docker ecosystem had this great idea. Right, well, right. it's good. Let's take that. Right. Like React has some good ideas. Angular and Ember and all can take those good ideas. Right, I, I, right. And that's just as true in the dev tools world than it is the rest of software. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, what are, uh, other than the, the time travel, um, are there any like interoper uh, interoperability uh, between the different dev tools that, that you've seen coming along? Right. And, and do you think that'll, that'll be possible? So a lot of the intro, since, since all of these protocols are open and documented, okay. already a lot of interoperability is possible. Okay. They're not necessarily copying the exact protocol. Right. Like there is a Chrome debugger protocol and a Firefox debugger protocol. Okay. They are not the same, but they are compatible. Okay. Similarly for the Visual Studio Code debugger protocol and the WebKit yeah, debugger yeah. protocol, they some of them have some extra features that eventually the other ones adds in a different uh, in a different interface for okay. the same kind of thing. Yeah. So what the in a new Firefox effort that started sometime earlier this year is to build a integrated um, an, an integrated debugger that's actually just an HTML page okay. that can connect 
from any browser to any other browser. And part of the demo that I did in the talk was using the new Firefox debugger, which is not feature complete yet. Right. It's a, it's a React app, though, so you can just like right-click and look through how breakpoints work. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, I, was, I was actually debugging Node from Chrome using the Firefox debugger in Chrome. And then I was debugging from Chrome, I was debugging a Firefox instance. And then from Firefox, I was debugging a Chrome and a Node instance. So, like Inception. <clears throat> basically. Okay. Uh, so you can, you can now debug almost anything from anything. And that is because, not because they've copied the protocols, but because the protocols are all interface compatible. And they're open. And they're open. Yeah. Uh, Edge is intended to have the same thing. It's just not all complete yet. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible what's coming down the pipe. Completely. We live in an amazing time and world. Especially this. as developers. Now, yeah. do you think that, that the browser vendors might be looking too much at developers and not focusing on, on users? Or do you think it's a, it's a good thing that they're putting so much effort into, into developers and, and the web as a platform? Well, so I don't think it's a zero-sum game okay. with respect to their business, right? Oh, like yeah, they're, absolutely. So they're, they would definitely not be, if, if they made no money this way yeah. in the longer term, they would definitely not be doing it. Right, right. Like a, I, I don't think that any of these businesses are in the idea of like, going out of business. Right, so, right. They're not a charity. <laughs> right, they're not a charity. So yeah. I, I think that there's definitely business cases that have been made for that investment. I also think that the web platform as a whole, like there's always... For years, there's been the talk about how native is going to take over and the web's going away. Or, or, maybe or that the, the web's web. going to take over, yeah. Or, or the web's going to take yeah, over, yeah. yeah, depending on who you talk to. Exactly. Right? But, but the, for me, the more that companies with market and mind share move towards supporting the web platform, honestly, even if that's not JavaScript, like, right. Right, like, like Microsoft made a big bet on Node integrating this into their tooling in Azure and yeah, everything yeah. like that. But even if they didn't, the fact that it's still focused on the web, yeah. it's still focused on web technologies and not reviving uh, Win32 or whatever Google could possibly do. Or Flash. Right, or Flash, right. So <clears throat> I'm, I do think that's the right decision for them to do. I think that's beneficial to us as web developers, yeah. maybe slightly more so than the average person. Right. But I actually, I honestly believe in the open web and think that it's better for people yes. in general anyway. I have the very Mozilla, Mozilla attitude about it. Right, right. right. Um, I think also, I mean, it kind of legitimizes web app development in a way that right. it, it hasn't, like, if you were to, to tell someone coming from a language that has 20 years of debugging tools... Right about the state of things on the web, even a few years ago, yes, they would think that you were an, a crazy person for doing web development, Completely. and for treating web development like it was a legitimate way to deploy apps to people. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I think some of that plays into it as well. Where, as a browser vendor, you can now say, "Well, you're going to spend more time in the browser now," which for a lot of them means more search revenue, right? Like it yeah. means more interaction with that company. I, I think that. Uh, I think the idea of, of legitimizing web app development is something that those the browser vendors are very, very interested in doing. Right. And I think I live in a little bit of a bubble, I don't know if you do too, about that legitimization. <laughs> like I've, I guess I've, I've done Java, more enterprise-y Java yeah. for a while before that, but I sort of got lulled into the, 
I know that uh, Eclipse and NetBeans have amazing debuggers, but Firebug is awesome. Like, how could you not love this? Yeah. Web well, it's like, you know, but, I, I kind of had a, a few years break where I did iOS development. Ah, yeah. And yeah. We're, I mean, it's very, very, very advanced debugging right. tools um, where you're detecting memory leaks and stuff. Sure. Like that, yeah. You know, and it is really neat to see, or at least be able to picture web development in that same sort of environment. Especially right. what what with uh, with React and these other these other tools that make um, application state a lot more sensible, I right. really think that we're we're going to be able to build apps uh, that are much more reliable and, and much much less buggy than they have been up until now. And that's kind of exciting. I agree yeah. that that architectural and like that paradigm shift yep. is also something that is winning over the. Staunch anti webbers mm. or anti javascripters yeah right I agree, yeah, well, cool, um, so we're gonna put a link to your talk or your slides in the show notes so people can check sounds good, out. that'd be great, yeah, um, thank you very much for for talking with us um, and check out John Paul um, on Twitter at John K Paul yeah. thank you great, sounds good, no problem, thank you. So we have Andrea Goulet yes. from Corgi Bytes Correct. Um, with us right now. And she just got done with the final keynote of the day yeah. um, about communication. Yeah. It's just as important as code. Yes. Can you explain <laughs> it that? Is, we found out that it has many similar analogous things. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, it's time that we start adding English to our tech stacks. Because it's not just the programming language that makes a project run well. Mm -hmm. It's also the natural language. And it's not always just the natural language used within a project. Um, there's a kind of obscure computer science law called Conway's Law that talks about how the communication systems in an organization mm -hmm. can then be reflected in other projects like code bases. Okay. So if you have a messy code base or a legacy system, you know, a lot of times solving it just by using a technical problem does, isn't enough. You have to also look at all of the communication issues. You have to look at all of the organizational issues, the operations issues. So it becomes a much bigger conversation than, you know, just refactoring some code. So what does that say if there's a really messy code base and one person wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Brian's code. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So uh, my, my favorite part of the whole talk is uh, your discussion of communication artifacts. Um, basically, uh, your commit messages and your documentation and your comments and your code and, and all of the different uh, things that you leave behind and how, I, I, specifically on legacy code, right? But just that um, these little things that we hate to do uh, for, no, for no good reason. Uh, uh, a great I, I, reason. Well, <laughs> I don't like to do it. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting to, look, to kind of reframe it and say that you're not just doing busy work. You are leaving behind these breadcrumbs so that you can so other people can follow them. Mm -hmm. Number one, like our managers and things like that, uh, and so that you yourself or your team uh, can communicate with you basically uh, after you're you've done your work mm -hmm. uh, and, and how it can be really really uh, useful. Uh, as uh, the same way you name your variables, the same way that you uh, name your classes and, and all of that or stuff. Or write documentation. Yeah. 
yeah. th th these little communication artifacts exist. I thought that was a neat way to, to frame it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I, I use the term artifact very intentionally because I think of it as like an archaeological dig. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the current kind of accepted definition of legacy code is from Michael Feathers in his book, Working Effectively with Legacy Code. And he describes legacy code as code without tests. And whenever we say that, it can be kind of polarizing. Um, because then it's like, well, how often should you test? And, you know, and oh, yeah, some yeah. people like testing a lot and some people don't. And so the way I describe it is that legacy code is code without communication artifacts, of which tests are really important ones. So if you think about an archaeological dig, um, bones, for example, tell you a whole, whole lot about a civilization. But so do coins and, you know, writing tablets and pottery, pottery yeah. all sorts of different things. So, so, Yes, tests are really important, but I think it's time for us to expand our idea mm. of, of what communication is and, and think of it in terms of, especially if we're looking at Conway's law, right, that, you know, a code base is only going to be good if the communication around it is, provides enough context mm -hmm. for somebody else to work on it and, and kind of jump in. Yeah, I, I, I like that analogy of, because sometimes our code, even the code that we write ourselves, going back it's like digging up yeah these old memories and like okay why did i do that what was i thinking when i did that yeah like, I, I was so smart when i wrote this it'll just be self-evident and now i'm an idiot <laughs> yeah yeah and some of it i think is is my background because i was trained as a marketer and so part of that training is providing rationale for every decision yeah you have to, like, whenever you do a concept or whenever you present anything, you have to have your rationale. So for me, like, I, I just got in the habit, you know, so when I write my commit messages, I tend to write, you know, the what changed on the mm -hmm. top and then the why in the description. Mm, okay. And, you know, so some, I have a friend, um, Dave Bach, and he says that, you know, the, the kind of status message should be half a tweet. And then mm. the description should be a blog post if necessary. Okay. And the nice thing about that with commit messages is because it's tied really, really closely. Mm -hmm. So if you ever run get blame and, you know, instead of just being like, ah, oh, crap, that was me. Oh, here's why I did it. You know, it's like mm. <laughs> it reduces the frustration factor that mm -hmm. you know you're going to have or you know that somebody else is going to have. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I did it that way. So um, tools like GitHub, mm -hmm. Jira, uh, Redmine, et cetera, you can easily link your commit message to an issue yep would you still recommend putting in a novella in your in your commit message? i mean if it makes um, sense and so okay. a, so a blog post if necessary yeah, yeah. right so it's copy not, and paste if you have to do yeah, yeah. Right. okay yeah that, that makes so, sense. so not everything is gonna have to have it and then one of my favorite tools is text expander mm -hmm. so <laughs> i have so i can yeah. i can basically create methods and call them for you know long yeah. blocks of text so yeah, so yeah yeah. I thought one of the things I thought was interesting is I've always thought of myself as a good communicator. I feel like I, I speak well, and I, I've taught a lot of classes uh, for SitePen, for other things. Uh, I feel like I write well, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible communicator with my code. Uh, and I've always, it, it's one of those things where like I kind of, it kind of challenged me to rethink about my own perception of myself as a good communicator. And it's really funny because uh, like we have peer reviews at SitePen. Yeah. And, Someone, I think someone very nicely said that I need to communicate better in my code, uh, and it, it's kind of 
That uh, wasn't me, by the way. No. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're talking, maybe basically uh, frame that correctly. Um, and I do think that, that that's an area, even if you are a developer that thinks that you communicate well, you still might not be communicating well to other developers. Yeah. And I think it comes down to empathy, which is, right. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. I love that part where you you linked communication with empathy. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I don't think we think about. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry I interrupted. But I love that part of you. Good. I I love that you love it. (laughs) Because communication is a two-way thing, right? And so if you... All, if all you ever do is talk to the other person, then you're not getting any feedback about what you're saying. And in order to in order to get that feedback, you have to be able to listen. Yes. Um, and and so there's this loop that, that happens. Yeah. And I just I, I really like that. Oh, well, good. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, I wish again, everybody could hear it. Uh, yeah. And again, that's something that you know I learned from being a writer. From you know that's something that they teach you really early on in writing is that you have to have empathy for your reader, and so you have to listen. You have to understand what your reader is going through, and like you have to put yourself kind of in the mental space. So there's two things for empathy. It's it's not a verb. It's a noun, and that's one of the things that can make it a little confusing. Mm-hmm. So empathy is a thing that you acquire after you have listened and truly understood what the other person is doing. So when you're writing, like let's say you're writing a novel, you'll go out and you research like your topic and it's like, oh, okay, now I, I really understand. And then when you sit down to write, you kind of put on that perspective yeah. and you, you put yourself into the other person's shoes mm-hmm. um, and really think about things in the way that they would want. So, um, you know, that could be your future self, right? Like yeah, yeah. what, what would I need if I come back from this six months from now? Right. Right. Or, you know, what is my user, right? They're, what are they going to feel when they get right. this error message? So, you know, there's empathy is incredibly important to software and it's also a skill that you can build. Yeah, because absolutely. I think we tend to get put into these boxes of, you know, are you a technical or a non-technical? And it's like, oh, well, I'm a non-technical, so I have empathy. And I'm a technical, so I can code. Right. And I think that that's complete bunk. I think that... I agree, I agree <laughs> yeah. with you on that. I, 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 like, I thought that was a wonderful transition because you don't have to be a coder that just is totally non, you know, non-emotional, just I write code, I yes. code robot, right? Yeah. You have The to computers a, are the machines, right? right? Like <laughs> we you, are the humans. You have to, like you were saying, with uh, you say client, we say customer because mm-hmm. we do interface with our clients and then it's like, am I writing for the browser? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, but when we're inter- interfacing with our customers, we have to be humans. Like we can't just, it's not, choices aren't binary. It's like right. there's these shades of gray between so I love the the whole gap between technical and non-technical. Yeah. And, and you, um, you know, just saying, look, you don't have to be one or the other. You can be, it's a both and. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's kind of where things are coming. Like that's, that's definitely where things are going. Because as software moves towards being created in real time, yeah. um, you know, you have to be able to understand your client so that you can fix the bug really fast. Mm-hmm. And then if you can have that with automatic, you know, testing and, you know, continuous deployment, mm-hmm. it's like things get done really fast and you're always moving. So we're moving away from this departmentalized waterfall approach 
you know, and we have for many years, mm-hmm. but there are still some some kind of artifacts of that. And and one of them is are you technical or non-technical? Yeah. And I would I would argue, and there was um, in the state of DevOps report, I think it was uh, Puppet that put it out a few months ago, they had a really, really nice um, report on how, you know, this is the trend. Like people are moving towards things that are happening in real time. And so if you're doing things in real time, communication becomes critical and that becomes a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a, a an article that came out two weeks ago, I think it was, um, where the owner of a company said, everybody that we hire from now on will learn how to program. What, did, did you see that? Yeah, I did. Um, I can't remember so who that's it was. General Electric. Oh, yes, yeah. so it was GE. That's yep, right. It's GE. And I think I think that that's a good standard. Um, so that's something that we've done from Corgi Bytes from the beginning. So Does that kind of... Does that kind of like validate your the whole empathy thing? It does. So so really what it is, is it says communication is just as important as code, but you can read it the other way around. Code is just as important as communication. Yeah. And so what we require is that people get out of their comfort zones, right? And that you become a yes and, you know, person, yeah. right? So if you work at a software company, you are technical, right? Like to you, some degree, to you, some have degree to you have to be, yeah. right? So an example of this is we have a developer, I mean, just embedded systems, genius, <laughs> like goes in and reads binary file, like super, super technical. She was really nervous about producing a blog post. Mm. And we pushed her and said, no, we want you. And so she chose, um, she likes working in an IDE and a lot of other people are using Vim yeah. or, you know, Adam and kind of doing command line stuff. And so she posted a really great article about like, does using an IDE make you a less of a developer? And she, and it was a really great post that was awesome. thoughtful and researched and she's getting a lot of comments on it. And so we pushed her yeah. to be on her communication side. And then we also hired a content manager who is a great screenwriter and like understands, well, we host things on Jekyll. And so it's like, great, you're going to learn, um, you know, <laughs> you're going to learn Git. Yeah. And, you know, so she's now taking classes on GitHub That's and awesome. on, you know, what continuous deployment is like and how to do branching. And it's like, this is just, these are just required skills, yeah. right? In yeah. order for in order for you to work here, these this is what the, the job that I need you to do. And if you're not interested in learning and growing, then you know there are other places to work. So, um, but I I, ran, I know that for me, once I really just accepted and said, okay, I'm committed to learning how to code, yeah. and like I am going to dive into it, and I'm yeah. going to own that technical title. Um, it, it I felt very empowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the beginning of your talk, you talked about how um, kind of your your culture growing up kind of shaped who you were. Yeah. But you didn't let it define who you were. And and I really liked that because I think so many so many times we think, you know, well, you know, I'm just this way. Yeah. And, and I'm just you know I'm I'm non technical. Yeah. But I'm technical and I can't do this. And, and you've proven, and I, I think a lot of us here have proven, that, that we don't have to be technical or non-technical, or we don't, we don't have to be defined by how we grew up or whatever. And it yeah. Was, I, well, and I think it's important to know I did not do that in isolation. I wanted to quit many times <laughs> because I, I came to coding and I was like, 
I don't understand any of this. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't understand these terms. Like, instantiate, that's not even a word. Like, it was like... <laughs> yeah, like, what, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like Jennifer would yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And so I was just like, I... And then I would do... Like, I loved her talk. To, she talked about how the etymology, and so she walked people through, like, if you wanted to learn about yeah. a word, instantiate, the kind of Wikipedia magic that you yeah, have to yeah. do just to wrap your brain around a software concept. And that was me. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, I can't learn this. I wanted to quit. I just wanted to walk away so many times. And the reason that I stayed in and the reason that I kept going was because I had so many people who said, please stay. Your ideas are important. We want you to be here. Like getting invited to be a keynote and to talk about these things, like, and to say, you know, I'm valuable here because of my background, not in spite of my background. Like, mm. and, and those things, that, that has made the world of difference to me because now I'm like, no, like, I am that kind of blend and I don't ever have to be this, you know, ninja software developer who's going <laughs> to, you know, like that's, I, I don't know if I'll get to that state, right. but I, I'm happy where I am right now and I'm always learning and I'm always growing. Yeah. I think that's one thing, like telling people that their ideas matter, I feel like it's something that's really lacking from a lot of software development. Mm. Yes. Uh, it is, it is easy to feel like, if, if it is easy to feel like you, you lob a grenade into a room sometimes when you're talking about ideas when it comes to programming. Because uh, you're kind of giving them to someone else to do it, uh, and having having people say your ideas matter, it makes it so that even if you don't really contribute anything, even if you contribute something and it still needs to be reworked, even if you contribute something and it's a little bit misguided, yeah, it, having someone tell you that the idea behind it mm -hmm. is important and is valid and is valid can be really really yeah. huge, and I think yeah. that. And even a good. step further, like, that's a great idea. Let's work on it together, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Let's pair, and I'll show you how I would build it, right? Yeah. And so inviting them to the process. I think um, it's a really good way to, to, to include people. Yes. Uh, like, I mean, we've talked about inclusiveness a couple times today in terms of being able to bring people into the community. I think it's a huge one. If someone comes in and says, like, I'm just learning how to code, but I think this, and you tell them that's a great idea, I think that can yeah. go a long way to keep to, to bring someone in. Well, and it's, it's having empathy and it's meeting people where they are, right? And, and sometimes, like, people who have been developing software for 20, 30 years, they almost have the expert problem. Mm -hmm. I know when I mm. talked to Scott about this, my business partner, like, he's been developing software since he was eight. Yeah. So he doesn't really have the feeling of struggle that I have, mm -hmm. like, learning to code he's, as an adult. He speaks the language he, naturally. It's just, it's like yeah. he's fluent. And so he, things that are a little you know, more difficult for me to comprehend. He's like, well, it's just a thing. I just learned it. Like, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so he, so for him to kind of, he, he's learned that, you know, developing empathy is important for that situation where he pauses, he asks a lot of questions about oh, kind good. of where yeah, I'm coming yeah. from. And I mean, again, that's, that's developed from years of working together. But, but yeah, I would say that, you know, at the heart of building a community, the heart of building really good software is empathy. And, yeah. um, and I would encourage everyone to check out Brene Brown's work. Um, okay. She's done a ton of research on just how important this is, um, not just in a social setting or in a personal setting, but also in a, in a business setting and how valuable it can be for, um, as a competitive advantage. Awesome. So. That's great. So, yeah. <laughs> I, your, your talk was great. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't say that enough. It was, it was so good. Um, and you can see how that applies to so many so many areas. Like developing an API, you have to have empathy for exactly. who's actually going to use it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're, we're trying to, we have an open source project that we rely on heavily at SitePen, and it's one of those things where we have a community we need to nurture too. Yeah. It's, it's fun yeah, thinking yeah. about that stuff. Yeah. And if you don't think about the person that 
how how could they use this or how might they want to yes. use yes yeah then you, you can develop this very rigid thing that yep. is inflexible yep um, so yep. Thank you very much yeah. for, for sitting down with yep. us. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. We'll put a, a link to your, your slide. Are you going to have your slides on Yep, there? the slides are up. So Okay, great. So we'll put a link to those in the in the notes and Twitter. And so All right. Sounds thank great. You so much. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Wow, you guys actually did a really great job. I mean, I'm pretty surprised. Even even Brian was, was really good. I'm I, I don't know what to say. I'm I'm completely flummoxed. Usually you're awful at everything, Brian. So that's good stuff. You did a really good job. Yeah. So anything else you guys want to add about this? Um, about your about your lovely day? About about staying the night and having a slumber party at Nick's house? That's um, a slumber party. That was amazing. <laughs> I got to meet Nick's in laws. Yeah. Yep. I awkwardly left Brian there with my in-laws while uh, I went to a speaker dinner last night. Leaving Brian anywhere is awkward <laughs> with other human beings. This was even awkwarder. Yes. Yeah. More awkward. <laughs> I don't know. My in-laws were over there to watch my eight-week-old daughter, and uh, Brian was just kind of hanging out with them while my wife and I were at the speaker dinner. Yeah, I guess I should say really quick before uh, before we're done where we have been because... Uh, we haven't had a show in a while, and yeah. it's been most of the summer because uh, two of you decided to have babies, which you know yep. I didn't really see coming. It just happened one day, and then <laughs> yeah, we... they just took they took all this time off, and it was, where you go? Where are you going? I'm I know, a baby. Like it's urgent. I gotta go. Yeah. Um, but you know, and Nick, there was more time off there, uh, and. You know, it was it was you know crazy, and then uh, we did our company trip to uh, Montana, and mm-hmm. then I did a whole bunch of trips, and it was a thing, and now we're back, <laughs> so we're gonna be doing more episodes, and this is kind of the kickoff of we'll call this season two. What do you guys mm-hmm. think? There you go. Yeah, I like that. I missed you guys. Fiscal year two. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> For all the money that the podcast makes. That's right. You need to define <laughs> fiscal years. Yeah. Well, yeah, the advertisers do appreciate that. That's true. It's true. We make it rain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at look at how good we did getting Trump the nomination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, that's pretty much yeah. us right there, guys. That's all exactly. us. It's yeah, it's all us. Um, I didn't know if you guys uh, just wanted to get onto your thing or if you wanted to do a truthy falsy. Truthy falsy sounds you. fun. Yeah. I've never done truthy falsy, so oh, this nice, will be fun. Yeah. Okay, here's how we play the game. Firstly, right. for Brian specifically, no cheating. You can't look up the answers. You'd be able to tell because the mic would pick, pick up me touching the computer. Well, you'd probably plot your phone. Oh, you don't have data. Never mind. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> you left. Okay, so in our document uh, that none of you were in, in the podcast agenda, that's fine. It's okay. <laughs> we don't need to be in there. You did uh, all this work. And we I did all this work. It. No, it's okay. You know, I'll post it into Skype chat if you want, because there's three you could questions. Do it, you could do it in uh, in the Slack chat. I've got that up. Uh, yep, I could do that too. Why don't you do that? Okay. You have All three right. Questions. So here we go. Three questions. Two of them are truthy. One is falsy. I will read them all, and then one by one, without help from each other. You'll go through them and decide which one you think is the falsy. Okay? Right. So okay. here is number one. 
In 2001, Microsoft began work on an ambitious revamp of Windows, codenamed Longhorn. Longhorn sought to make Windows a more stable and reliable platform after the disaster that was Windows ME by building Longhorn on top of a new BSD-based kernel. After years of delays, development was reset in 2004, and the BSD kernel was scrapped in favor of the Windows NT kernel. In 2007, Longhorn was released as Windows Vista. Okay, here's number two. Uh, the first web browser called World Wide Web, written by Tim Berners-Lee in 1990, was not only the first web browser, but also the first WYSIWYG HTML editor. And number three, uh, Flickr as we know it today launched in 2004, but the photo sharing site was born out of tools created as part of a web-based MMO game. The first version of Flickr or the first versions of Flickr were focused around a chat room that included the ability to share photos. Okay, who wants to go first? I'll go first, since I'm. This is my first rodeo. Yeah, I have my cowboy boots on today too, so this really is my first rodeo. Um, number one's true, the truthy. Um. Numbers two and three, I'm not sure about, but I think three is true and two is falsy. Okay. So I'm going to go one is truthy. Uh, I'm going to say two is truthy as well. My, I won't, I won't explain my thinking. Maybe I'll explain my thinking afterwards. I'll say three is falsy. Okay. And... Nick? No, Nick, you, there's only one permutation you can choose. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> we, none of us got it right last time, so that might be a, an acceptable strategy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to say that two and three are truthy and one is false. There you go. Wow. Good good way good to uh, just take that. <laughs> <laughs> so one okay. of us will win, but at least one of us will win. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think he didn't even give it much thought. He's just like, oh, I'll take the, the last one remaining here so we win. I was going to actually do four questions oh. because I knew that, but then I forgot. And then, mm. oh, yeah, there's three of you. Um, okay, so we'll take it in reverse order then. Um, so number three was Flickr, as we know it today, launched in 2004, but the photo sharing site was born out of tools created as part of a web-based MMO game. The first versions of Flickr were focused around a chat room that included the ability to share photos. This one is truthy. That is actually true, um, and something that I had remembered when uh, ten years ago I met Cal Henderson, and he was telling, and he was one of the original engineers, and he was just they were just talking about how Flickr came to be, and it was not even anything like you know it wasn't a photo sharing site at all. It was just like this it's game. And people kept using features of it to share photos, and people were more engaged in that, so they started building it out more, and then pivoted to that strategy. Um, like slash slack coming from glitch exactly oh, yeah or brian getting a job even though all he writes is glitches <laughs> yeah basically yeah it's called job security right it is, it is. It's, it's, then i gotta fix them yeah you're it's the only feature. one that knows how because you broke it that's right <laughs> brian pioneered bug as a feature he did that's right he really did okay so number two the first world, uh, the first web browser called World Wide Web, written by Tim Berners-Lee in 1990, was not only the first web browser but also the first WYSIWYG HTML editor. This one 
is also truthy. Huh. Really? That was very surprising to me as well, but it is actually true, which means that of HTML course... HTML is I... not that complicated back then. <laughs> That's yeah, why I guessed it. Very forgiving. Um, which means that number one, I made up by inserting that Longhorn was going to be on top of a BSD kernel. Yeah. And it was not ever going to no. be that. Um, but they that did. I, so, I thought that you weren't allowed to trick us. That's why I picked that no, up. No, I, of course. <laughs> But, I uh, thought that, it was, that there was BSD code in <clears throat> NT. Not in NT. He was saying the Longhorn was based on it. Oh, and I, there it. was a reset in 2004 after delays. Like, all that stuff is true, except for the kernel part is not true. Um, but you see, it's kind of funny okay. how you can, you can take things that are kind of in your memory from years past and mm-hmm. tweak a little detail. And it sounds like, look at Bright had no hesitation. He's like, oh, that one's true. That one's true. Which I'm going to highlight and keep in this episode. Like Which your, is your Nick's conviction. strategy worked. Nick's strategy <laughs> worked. Nick just completely was like, oh, let's go with that one. So one of us wins. <laughs> but now we're on to Tori. So next time, I think we got his number. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> the most obvious be, There'll be like is, 20 questions. But, yeah. but to be fair, I really was skeptical, skeptical of the BSD. The BSD, part. yeah. I was also skeptical of but the, rest the name of, all of true. the web browser World Wide Web. I didn't think that that was true. So the number two at first, I was like, oh, that looks like, crazy. Would have written a WYSIWYG editor. And then yeah. I'm like, all that it was was like, HTML and then paragraph tags and bold tags and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't, uh, it's pretty simple way back then. All right, Tori, you got me. And hyperlinks. Yeah. Famous for hyperlinks. Yeah. Well, thanks for playing and good job, everyone. I mean, just Nick, actually. <laughs> <laughs> not everyone. Definitely not everyone. Definitely not. Um, yeah, I look forward to playing next time. Um, cause I spend way too much time thinking of these things. <laughs> um, and I just have to go back in my memory and come up with the things and then go and research to make sure my memory is correct. And yeah. it often is not. <laughs> you could just go on, on Wikipedia and just change it. I'm just, you could just, yeah, that's a good point. Just make something up on Twitter and then see who responds to you with like at what is actually you're trying to reference. <laughs> That's a good lots point. Of, like, lots of like real life truthy yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Just say something untrue, and you'll be corrected. Okay, well, I don't think we need to keep you guys any longer, unless you have anything you want to end with here about um, anything. To be honest, no, I, th- I think the interviews are really good. So yeah, and I want to thank Sp- uh, Sitepen for being a sponsor of the conference yeah. and yeah. Uh, for doing this podcast here. It's going to be really awesome to hear them. Yeah, and I, I want to thank Nick and everybody that worked on the conference. I thought it went really well. It's really good. It, really well done. Um, everybody's real professional. And it next, was fun. Next year it's gonna be tough to get a ticket. Is what I'm. <laughs> is my prediction. Yeah, you're gonna. Have it to was tough talk, to get it this year. You're gonna have to talk it to the conductor. It's gonna be the South by Southwest of Midwestern. It will be conferences. <laughs> yeah, it, it it'll be exclusive too. Nick actually made us buy a ticket. He's an organizer. We had to buy a ticket for Neil to go there to do the podcast. Yeah. I was like, you can't even cut us some slack here? Like, you would get one free ticket. All right. I did watch the talks, though, so got my money. Yeah, but you probably didn't learn anything, so there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're just, like, smart. (laughs) Yes, you did. You about communication. That's not Nick's fault. I, I I did actually admit in one of the interviews that I learned something, so... Uh, I'll cut that. I'll cut that. Okay. Yeah. I just I just cut this too. Nice. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Carl. Thank you. Later. Thank you.
Take it fast, take it real slow We got a good 